2: on your wednesday episode of locked on raptors it's another mailbag it's the off season. you have questions i'm gonna answer them we'll dig into questions relating to the offseason which kind of players should the raptors be targeting how can the raptors become a better free agent destination in general plus a whole lot of stuff about the canadian elite basketball league and some raptors content that's going on down there that's all coming up on today's episode of locked on raptors thanks for being here Oh, like, because when I shot, it, I expected to make it. So, like, I don't shoot trying to miss. So. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 1191 of Lockdown Raptors for Wednesday, June the 8th. I'm your host Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always at WoodleySean. You can find the show at Lockdown Raptors and you can follow, subscribe to, rate, review the podcast on all your favorite podcast apps for the low, low price of On The House. You can also go to YouTube and subscribe to the show over there to get us on video each and every day. Nearly 2,100 subs over on the YouTube channel. Lots of comments and discussion yesterday in the comments of the Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell episode with Vivek and I. And I think much like Vivek and I, not many people thrilled about the idea of Donovan Mitchell or Rudy Gobert. You can go chat with folks in there. If you'd like, keep it nice. Keep it friendly. It's, it's all just a place to chat about the team we like in the offseason. There's no need to get too angry, you know, with Adversarial or whatever it might be. Uh, but either way, go hang out in the comments on the YouTube channel and subscribe. It's much appreciated when you do that. And it's always appreciated when you make us your first listen of the day. Okay, let's get into it today. On today's episode, we got a mailbag question and a very wide tapestry of questions on today's show we've got lots of stuff pertaining to the offseason player roles player improvements uh you know reorganizing the hierarchy of the team over the course of the summer plus there's stuff about the draft which if i'm being totally honest i don't have a great handle on just yet though i do plan on having a draft expert on the podcast on friday to talk about the 33rd overall pick which everyone seems to be very very thrilled about talking about so we'll get to that later in the week But there's other good questions in here, sort of non-current, present events related as well. We'll get to all those. And of course, there's lots of C.E.B.L. questions, which is awesome and very cool to see. And uh, as you know, I work for the C.E.B.L. as a studio host and as a play-by-play guy. And so we'll entertain those Raptors-themed C.E.B.L. questions coming up very shortly. But... Let's get into it now with a couple of bangers out of the gate. This one here comes from Karen Leslie Hall, who asks, I know that you think Gary Trent Jr. should come off the bench and become the sixth man he's born to be, but I've heard some other Raptors pundits say he's, quote, too expensive for that kind of role. What do you say to that argument? That is a really good question from Karen. I also want to give Karen a shout-out. She was the first person to submit a question when I put it the call, so uh, you win the prize for today, Karen. Thank you. Um, yeah, really good question, and look, i I know I've been very staunch in my belief that Gary Trent Jr should be coming off the bench next season. It's mostly tied to my belief in Precious Achua as his, you know, the sort of the center that is meant to be on this team more than it is any sort of doubt about Gary Trent Jr. You know, I talked all season long, referenced the numbers all season long about how the Raptors offense was significantly better every time Gary Trent Jr was on the floor. Him and Pascal Siakam drove offensive success more than anybody else on the Raptors this year per all the on-off numbers and everything like that. It's just, I think his skill set is very much geared towards helping the bench with the thing they struggle with the most, which is scoring, which is creation. And I think Gary Trent Jr.'s level of creation, his ability to create shots for himself, is going to play a lot better against opposing reserves than it would against opposing starters when there are just clearly better creators on the floor, you know, occupying the first, second, and third roles in the offense, even fourth roles in the offense, ahead of Gary Trent Jr. So I think you're going to get more out of his skills off the bench, And I still think he'll close games and play probably 30 minutes a game, even if that is where he's coming from. You know, he's starting his game six minutes into the game or whatever. I I still think you're going to get plenty of Gary Trent Jr. So I don't buy the whole he's too expensive argument. I I also think, like, he's not that expensive. $18 bucks in today's NBA is not, like, some crazy albatross contract. It's not some guy who you're building your entire thing around. He's, you know, a role player on this team. And he's, you know, making half of what a max salary is i think he's totally reasonably paid enough to come off the bench and ultimately like he's already paid it's the money he's making it's the the way they've dispersed the money i don't think that just guarantees that he has to be a starter because of that you know, if we, you sort of oriented things based on who makes the most money and who's starting, then every team would kind of have a different looking structure to what they currently have, right? It, it's just Scotty Barnes makes like $7 bucks on a rookie deal. Precious Achua makes like $3 bucks. I think he should be starting because he's just really good and fits what the Raptors need as a, as a center in a lot of ways. And I think if you're still getting a lot of production out of Gary Trent Jr., which I think you will get... I think you can justify having a $17, 18000000 million guy coming off the bench. It's not like you have a max player coming off the bench where it's just like, well, we've got nothing else to do with this guy. I guess we should see if he can cook against second units. Like, that's not the position they're in. I just think it's the best way to orient the team going into next year, considering some of the issues we saw, I think, with that small ball starting five with the Raptors and the, you know, the degree to which they, you know, had issues sort of sharing the ball, lots of mouths to feed and things like that. I don't think that's like a huge, huge, massive concern. I think they can figure that out. But I do think it kind of ensures everyone's going to get their looks if Gary Trent Jr. is coming off the bench instead of starting alongside those guys in the starting five and again it's not something that i think is too big of a deal like maybe they start them they're probably going to close them a lot of games as well we get so sort of rigid in our who's the starters who's coming off the bench thing and we kind of always forget when we talk about this that it's actually who finishes games that matters the most and when you look at the starting five between fred og pascal scotty gary trent jr Tell me which other guy is going to the bench. If you're looking for a lineup that's a little bit more traditional, a little bit more center forward in in the play, you know, if you have Precious Achua in there, or even Kem Birch as sort of your screen-setting role man type. Like Gary Trent Jr. is the obvious choice. You're not benching Siakam. You're not benching Scotty freaking Barnes. You're not benching OG or Fred. So Gary Trent Jr. is just kind of the unfortunate last guy there. And I think his role off the bench could be pretty pretty special, and per- certainly put him in the conversation for six man of the year and stuff like that. You know, can he be Tyler Hero? Why not Tyler Hero with better defense and a little bit less juice creatively? that seems like a pretty good thing to me and I think a pretty reasonable thing to hope for and expect out of Gary Trent Jr. if he's playing 30 minutes coming off the bench and cooking second units with that mid-range creation, the three-point pull-ups, things like that. Very good question though, Karen. I still maintain steadfast in my Gary Trent Jr. is the sixth man he was born to be next season or we all riot type of stance. Uh, next question here, this one comes from our pal Charlie Bender, who's a great regular question asker, asking, if you had to make a Raptors starting five with Toronto sports athletes only, Jays, Leafs, Blue Jays, or Leafs, uh, Jays, Leafs, Raptors, et cetera, who would they be, what position would they play, and why? This is fun. I guess if we're going non Raptors players, we're just going Jay's Leafs. We can throw in the Argos, even though I don't know any Argos players. Uh, We'll throw in TFC, even though TFC is kind of sad right now. Um, You know, I I think for me, I'm probably going with. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is my center. Small ball. He's thick. He's like Chuck Hayes out there, except, you know, he's probably going to be a pretty good dunker. I don't know. He's got some hops. He's, like, deceptively athletic at that thick size. I think as a small ball five, he's like a mix of Chuck Hayes and Draymond Green. Uh, as As far as, like, wings go, I mean... You want, like, that high-octane scoring wing. Austin Matthews feels like the type. Maybe you throw him at the wing with Mitch Marner as your point guard, and you kind of try to recapture the the magic of their on-ice brilliance. With basketball, this is probably not going super well because these guys are not basketball players, but they're all pro athletes. I'm sure they could figure out a little bit. Uh, maybe enough to hack it in, like, a, a very high-level YMCA run or something like that. So, yeah, you get Matthews and get uh, your boy... Mitch Marner in there as the point guard in the wing. So now you got like a 2 and a 4 to to fill the spots with. At the 2, I'm going to go with George Springer seems like he's a pretty fun spry guy he you know not not afraid to sort of go off I guess uh it's lots it's hard to draw these comparisons these are very different sports you see but yeah George Springer he's also just seems like a fun guy to have around so I'd probably put George Springer at the two in this starting lineup and then uh, as the four I'm just going beef boys across the front line it's it's Vlad at the center and it's Alejandro Kirk at power forward and you're just going with the small thick boys just moving dudes off of their spot in the post good luck posting the those guys up as they have the lowest center of gravity you've ever seen, making Kyle Lowry jealous and also uh, digging down and getting into those steals. Like the answer to Joel Embiid is just a double team of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Alejandro Kirk, I think. Uh, Either way, go listen to Locked On Leafs and Locked On Blue Jays. A couple excellent, excellent shows that you should be tuning into each and every day. Okay. With that, we are going to continue on and get into a couple of more mailbag questions on the other side. We've got questions regarding the offseason, the Canadian Elite basketball league, and a whole bunch more, as well as how do the Raptors make themselves a free agent destination. I actually don't know if it's even necessary for them to do that. I'll get into that coming up in just a second here. But first, I want to tell you about our pals over at Sakara, who are a newer sponsor to the network, but they are here to help you feel great in your skin and feeling your best starts with what you eat. Sakara helps you Live a healthy, balanced lifestyle and truly enjoy it with delicious, plant-rich transformational nutrition that builds a foundation for living in your best body. Now is the time to seek wellness, joy, and abundance in all areas of your life, starting with what you eat. With Sakara, you get nutrient-dense meals, snacks, and supplements that nourish your body without ever sacrificing taste or quality. Looking and feeling your best shouldn't mean deprivation. Uh, let me tell you, I think anyone who's depriving them of good good food is uh, doing it wrong. <laughs> but that's just me. Either way, instead, choose joy and abundance. Sakaras Organic plant-rich transformational nutrition programs are designed to help you cultivate body intelligence, so you can nourish your body and experience the results you want. Sakara is a wellness company anchored in food as medicine, on a mission to nourish your body through the power of plants. Again, everything they have is plant-rich in terms of their ingredients. It's going to help you boost your energy, support your digestion, and so so much more. And right now, Sakara is offering our listeners twenty percent off their first order when they go to sakara.com/lockedon20 or enter lockedon20. At checkout, that's Sakara, S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash LockedOn20 to get 20% off your first order. Sakara.com slash on 20
0: This is Jake from Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games four, five, and six in the NBA finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Barea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Okay,
2: we continue on with your first listen of the day here, digging back in to your mailbag questions. Uh, This question here comes from Cameron Hilton regarding the NBA draft, who asks, would you prefer Masai hold the course and draft in the 30s or makes a deal to move into the top seven question mark for a highly rated guy? Look, I I think anytime you can move up in the draft, great. That's cool. But what does it take to get you there? I don't think the Raptors have anything on the roster that they'd be willing to part with for a speculative teenager at number seven or whatever it might be. You know, I, I think you have to kind of keep in mind here, yes, there are good players drafting the lottery all the time, but th- once you get past, like, the top four, it becomes kind of a crapshoot in a lot of cases, and the Raptors were lucky last season. They picked fourth in what was a loaded and stacked draft, might be a historically loaded loaded and stacked draft. I don't think you can sort of just guess and assume, oh, all right, well, the seventh pick must be a great player in this year's draft because the seventh pick in last year's draft was Jonathan Kaminga. It's not how it always works. It might be a very good player. I, truthfully, it could be. I'm not totally schooled on the top of the draft this year, as I understand it. It's a little bit less sort of rich in terms of guys who could be franchise changers, and it's more sort of, hey, these guys are all going to be really good players that'll slot in somewhere, maybe not ever the best player on a championship team or anything like that. Also, it's the draft, so who the hell knows? These guys could totally develop and become something we don't expect them to be, as Scotty Barnes just did. That's kind of my philosophy on the draft. I totally respect and appreciate the people who dig into it and have scouting and have, you know, detailed film analysis and all of that, but I also think a lot of it is very much up to chance and depends on where you're drafted and depends on sort of the individual person's makeup as well. It's hard to really pin down exactly who's going to hit and who's not going to hit. And so for me... Like, trading to seven, what's the best offer you're willing to even give up to to move up to seven? There's not really anyone on the roster that I'm thinking, oh yeah, trade that guy for number seven. Like, OG for the seventh pick, I think that's been kind of kicked around because the Blazers were brought up as a potential team. OG plus, or for Josh Hart in the seventh pick, or maybe a couple of things coming back the other way, that doesn't move the needle for me. You're getting a worse player than OG Ananobi and Josh Hart, who's under contract for fewer years, And you're also getting a sort of guess as to, I guess the 7th pick could be something, maybe in a year, maybe two. I think it's very dangerous to think, just because Scotty Barnes was a revelation out of the gate, that whoever the Raptors might draft at a potential 7th or 8th overall pick slot would be the same thing and have the same sort of arc. Like, Scotty Barnes seems like a special, very one-of-one type of dude, so projecting that outcome in that timeline in terms of development on anybody else seems a little unfair to not everybody else not only everybody else but also to Scotty Barnes it kind of undercuts the uniqueness of his own you know journey through the NBA so far so yeah I'm always going to be on the side of just stick with 33 don't trade up you know trading up you know you're usually having to pay a premium to do so because the team in the seventh pick is the team in the position of power or whatever you know pick you're trying to get I keep throwing the seventh because that's the one in the question but same applies to anybody any all those teams in there like oh we got this sexy pick that no one knows what it is yet. There's so much speculation around it. It could be anything. It could even be OG and Well, guess what? They already have OG and and I don't think you're trading anyone on this Raptors roster. There's no one in that kind of sweet spot, right? Everyone's either too good to trade for the 7th pick or they're not good enough or not attractive enough to a potential team that might be after the 7th pick unless you're throwing in future first to move up which I think we've seen with teams like the Hawks is maybe not a thing that she or the Mavericks. I guess they moved extra picks to move up. Probably not a thing you want to be doing as that kind of crippled the team-building process around Luka Doncic. He's good enough. doesn't matter. He's so good. doesn't matter how good their, their, their supporting cast really seems to be. But uh, imagine if they had a couple extra picks to draft guys to play around Luka Doncic in the early days of his career. You'd be pretty happy with that, I think, if you were the Mavericks. And so it's dangerous to get into the game of trying to trade into the top of the draft, especially if you're not trading for, like, a surefire guy like Luka Doncic, right? That's also a different situation. He's incredible. He's a one-of-one talent that everyone seemed to be missing because he was European and kind of doughy. When he came out of uh, came out of Real Madrid, um, you know, you're not getting any sort of sure thing at the seventh pick, especially in a draft like this one that doesn't seem to be boasting all sorts of you know guys oozing with star, you know franchise changing talent. So stay at thirty three for me. There's not really a move out there, and also, you know, there's financial benefits to it as well, right? The Raptors are going to be playing this kind of, you know, game of balance with the luxury tax and trying to stay under it while also keeping their guys, and a 33rd overall pick, as much as it's unfair that second rounders kind of get the shaft when it comes to guaranteed contracts and things like that, it is a little bit easier to build your team when you're paying a second round guy the second round rate for a salary as opposed to paying a top 10 pick, you know, the 5-6 million bucks they're going to command just because of the rookie scale. So, yeah, I'm more than okay hanging out at 33. It seems like there's a lot of guys, again, I don't know a ton about all these guys. I know the names and some, you know, brief details, but it seems like there's lots of guys at 33 who will probably be there. There's lots of sort of late-round, first-round first, guy, first round guys who are kind of in that amorphous blob of 20 to 50. There's going to be someone there for the Raptors at 33. I think you stay the course and hang out there, and don't worry about trading up, because, you know, the Raptors got their good luck in the draft, man. They got Scotty Barnes. I don't care if they never get luck in the draft again for the next five years. It would suck, obviously, and hurt their team building, but... They've got the the good luck that every team hopes for in the draft for 10 years in, in some cases. The Raptors got it in their first shot. I'm not willing to test the draft gods again by taking another flyer on a speculative teen. Uh... Next question here, and again, there's lots of questions in here about the uh, situation with the Raptors when it comes to the draft and and what they're going to do with 33, guys who might be good targets. Again, I'm going to get to that on Friday in an episode with a draft expert to get all the uh, the input uh, that we need on those guys, because I know what I don't know, and I certainly don't know a lot about Marjan Beauchamp or whoever else is kind of being mocked to the Raptors at 33 right now. Let's get to this next question here from Terry Papadakos, who asks a lot of questions a lot of talk about trading for his center this offseason, Gobert or Aiton. Question is how does this impact Precious's role development? Kind of feels like he's going to make his way into the regular starting five with a good offseason. Thank you, Terry. Thank you. I know on this podcast we've had to entertain the ideas of Rudy Gobert and DeAndre Ayton because it's a daily podcast and it's the off-season and that's the game we play, all right? We gotta talk about it just to say that we talked about it, but. I'm with Terry in that Precious Achua and his development as a center more important to me than going and finding some kind of answer at the five. Again, I don't think they necessarily needed all that much. We've seen so far in these playoffs, for example, like not all these teams are boasting regular sort of typical run-of-the-mill centers, right? Robert Williams, yeah, he's a pretty traditional center. The Warriors roll out Kevon Looney for a few minutes a game, and that's kind of the extent to which they go with t- tra- traditional centers. It's just not a thing that I think you need necessarily to win big in the NBA. Sure, there will be matchups where you need to have some sort of counter or foil to a really, you know, a particularly imposing big man. But that's the exception and not the rule. And I think it's far more important for the Raptors in the state they're in right now, where there's no pressure in terms of timeline, really. Like they can sort of take this thing. They overachieved last season. They can kind of take this thing and marinate it and let it sort of cook slow here. I don't think there's a need to go and just jump at the first shiny center out there to add him to the team. And I also don't think the guys we're talking about in terms of Carl Anthony, sorry, not in terms of Rudy Gobert and DeAndre Ayton necessarily solve all the problems. And they kind of introduce some new problems as well, especially when you consider the cost of acquisition, which is going to come at the expense without a doubt of one of OG Ananobi or Gary Trent Jr. And probably more than that to get either of those guys into town. So I don't think they need to go prioritize it right now. And for me, I would be waiting for a center like Karl-Anthony Towns, who I just sort of had a Freudian slip with. He's the kind of guy who I think is a perfect fit next to what the Raptors have going on. Like, you slot him next to Siakam and Barnes, and I'm all for that. But the Wolves are competent now, have Tim Connelly in the door. They just had a really great season, would imagine they're going to be pretty good again next season. I don't think Karl-Anthony Towns is on his way out of town anytime soon. And so, for me, I don't think you just jump at the first center who's there because you perceive that to be a need, internally the Raptors have said a whole bunch they don't perceive that to really be a need and I think we should take them on their word for it and just you know assume that Precious Achua is going to get that run with the center spot next year as Terry suggests and as I have been saying all summer long that should be the way the Raptors operate next year when it comes to the center position. We're going to continue on and get to a couple more questions. Again, going to dig into the concept of free agent destination and whether the Raptors can become that. Does it even matter? And a couple more cues to close things out. We'll get to that in just one second here. But first, I want to tell you about our friends over at betonline.net, your number one source for all your sports betting stats and info. Follow the latest sports developments, news, and odds, including this year's basketball championship matchup between the Golden State Warriors and the Boston Celtics. Game what is it? Three goes tonight on Wednesday. Uh, the NHL Conference Finals of course are rolling on, especially Tampa and New York. The Oilers Avs series sadly over in four games, but Tampa, New York has been a banger. So you got that to put your money down on. You got Major League Baseball. The Blue Jays are heating up. Take the overs, baby. Take the overs on the Blue Jays as they're just hitting everything out of the park. And you got fighting news, MMA, UFC, everything else. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering info, including live betting, esports and more. Head to the website today or your usual mobile device advice to learn more about the trends and the action bet online is where the game starts
0: hi i'm jake from locked on there's a lot to say when buying a new home or car but really the first words you want to say are like a good neighbor state farm is there and trust me as someone named jake that is a fact that's the phrase that will help you feel good knowing that you have people who could help you find the right coverage for the things you want to protect Insurance doesn't need to be complicated with a State Farm agent. With so many coverage options, it feels good knowing you can find what fits you because your situation is unique. And State Farm is there to help you feel supported with the coverage you need for your car, your home, and even boats, motorcycles, RVs, and other things that matter to you.
2: Now, before we get into the last couple of mailbag questions, we have an important favor to ask you here at Lockdown. We put together a survey so we can learn more about our listeners like you and make your favorite Lockdown podcasts even better. This is your opportunity to tell us what you like or don't like about Lockdown podcasts. So go to slash survey right now to get started. It won't take very long. And everyone that completes the survey can qualify for a chance to win one of ten $100 Ticketmaster gift cards. To take our audience survey, go to lockedonpodcast.com survey, lockedonpodcast.com survey. Thank you for your help. All right, let's get to the couple remaining mailbag questions to get to. We're not going to get to all the ones that were sent in because we got a lot of them. This is usually the case. Thank you to everyone who sent them in. I apologize if you are not one of the ones I read off here. Also, shout out to our boy Cameron Hilton. Always coming with like five or six good questions and usually only taking about one. Uh, Let's go here to this question from Jay Rich, the one I've been teasing to the entire game. This is a re-question from last, last week because it didn't quite fit the theme of the episode I was doing in terms of Raptors history on the mailbag. So... Jay Rich asks, what do you think can help make Toronto a preferred destination for top talent, WNBA team, championships, or is there nothing that can change this? Thank you. Um, Look, this is a really good question from Jay Rich. I, I, I think for me, I don't really think that a lot can totally be done about the sort of destination side of things, right? it's always going to be a tax thing, even though it's not really that big a deal when you're talking about the money these guys are making and all these other states have taxes too. Yes, that's always going to be a storyline. Yes, it's sort of foreign country. Oh my God, Canada, this is a totally new thing. I feel like that's probably less of a thing as well, especially as America falls into the tubes. But I do think, I don't know if it really matters, right? Like I think the Raptors have kind of figured it out here. They figured out their lot in life. Yes, they tried to go pursue Giannis Kumpo. That was a noble pursuit, worthwhile for sure, but it didn't work out. And they did that because I think they knew there was a connection there between Masai and Giannis that otherwise maybe they wouldn't have pursued something like that because they didn't have any sort of inside track or edge. When it comes to future free agents... Look, free agency is less of a thing than it's ever been in the NBA, right? We're not seeing a ton in terms of player movement, in terms of guys going and picking their destinations. A lot of it is trading ahead of time and, and, you know, sort of jumping on that. And I think with the Raptors, what they've proven here over the last 10 years or so is that they can be a team that goes and makes trades and brings guys in. And then more often than not, once guys are in Toronto, they kind of think, wow, it's pretty awesome here. Maybe I'll stick around. Yes, they lost Kawhi Leonard after they won the championship. And that was a bummer, for sure. It totally changed the championship window of the team, set the team back a little bit, all of that. But, like, that's the exception and not the rule over the last 10 years. Kyle Lowry signed three contracts in Toronto. DeMar DeRozan stuck around. Serge Ibaka stuck around. Marcus Saul loved it in Toronto for the short time he was here. And the Raptors, I think, kind of made the decision to not bring him back. I, I really think that, for the most part, they are a destination... It's just a different kind of destination. It's a destination that has to grow on you a little bit, and that's fine. There's plenty of teams that don't have that factor either, where, you know, that you trade for a guy, and then instantly you're kind of looking at where his next move is going to be. This is not Oklahoma City, if you're the Toronto Raptors. Like, there's lots about Toronto that is attractive. They have the OVO Center. They market the hell out of their players. Guys get lots of endorsement deals with Canadian companies and all of that. There's plenty of good and reasons to stick around in Toronto if you're a star player, and I think the Kawhi thing probably works Warps this a little bit. Obviously, the early era of the franchise where everyone left also kind of warps this too. But over the last 10 years, most guys who have landed here have been like, damn, this place rocks. I might want to stick around here and keep my family around here. That's a really good thing. I think that's the kind of best you can hope for. And the Raptors have kind of learned and realized what their lot in life is, is they are a very good team, very talented, uh, you know, very good in terms of like developing and, and making the thing kind of work in sort of, you know, concert with their the G League team and their front office and their analytics staff and all this stuff. They figured out a way to be competitive and good without being a destination. If that ends up becoming, you know, the the thing that leads them to becoming an actual destination down the line, great. I think that's going to be what it is. It's not going to be the city or anything the city can do. It's going to be, hey, are you just like a winning franchise that people want to come to? But for the most part, I think they've done all the work in terms of trying to make it an attractive place to play. They're not going to sign a ton of free agents, but that's not like that's the case for most teams in the NBA. There's like three teams that can bank on free agent signings if that. And then even those teams will line up all the cap space in the world and then never get anything done. So I think living in the world of free agent signings is probably kind of a sad way to live anyway. I'm fine if the Raptors just rock with what they have and use that their you know, the, the fact that their home court field, home court field, God, uh, they're, that their sort of home court advantage once you get a guy in the door is going to be able to keep most guys around. If it does come to the point where you're trading for stars who, you know, potentially have, you know, one or two years left to go, I think because Kawhi left doesn't mean guys in the future will leave necessarily. A uh, couple more questions here. This one comes from Eric Morris at Epic Mop is asking, is there anyone from the CEBL the Raptors should look into at who could contribute next season? Um, first of all, we'd like three CEBL questions today. All very fun and cool. Happy to see it. Uh, the CEBL is great. Everyone should go and watch the CEBL. It's on CBC Gem and CBL's mobile app for free. I call some of the games. I'm on a game tomorrow night and on Friday as well. So uh, actually with former uh, podcast guest, past and future podcast guest, Andrew Damlin, which will be a lot of fun. Either way, uh, the CBL Raptors guys. So Jalen Harris, obviously, is the big one. Last night he had 38 points for Scarborough in their game against Newfoundland. It was kind of his first game really showing out as like the NBA talent we kind of know that he is. Uh, So that was cool. Very exciting. Um, I, I think, you know, Jalen Harris, there's still a world in which he's on the Raptors next season, right? He's going to apply for reinstatement as of July 1st from his suspension, and the Raptors will have his rights. Whether they follow through on that and keep him around, I don't know. I have my questions about, you know, Jalen Harris as an overall NBA player night tonight. night. Yes, he did some nice things at the back part of the Tampa season, but lots of guys did nice things at the back part of the Tampa season that didn't actually really hold all that much water. So we'll see on Jalen Harris, but I think there's a world in which he's, you know, the 15th man on the Raptors next season for sure. He's a good shooter. A uh, little bit of creation there the Raptors could probably use, and he played over in Europe in a pretty high-level league. Maybe there's something there. The other guy I'd keep an eye on? Is someone who else is familiar, it's Deng Adele, uh, who was, of course, on Raptors 905 for a season, played 14 games with the Cavs in the NBA. And if you're unfamiliar with what Deng Adele's doing so far in the CEBL, he has been insane he's averaging like 24 7 and 6 uh he's shooting 74 percent on five attempts a game from three over the course of his first four games uh he's been just totally dynamic great with the ball in his hands incredibly smooth just kind of pops out among all the other cbl guys is like oh this guy's 6 7 six, eight, with that much mobility and smoothness and shot creation it's clearly something obviously he's doing it against lesser talent than he would be in the nba but you know when guys pop like that it's worth noting. And you know, he's a guy who's had a cup of coffee in the NBA before has gone and played overseas. I wouldn't be shocked if he got called the Summer League or something like that, whether it's the Raptors, whether it's some other NBA team, it's always difficult, right? You know, the Raptors don't have first priority on these guys just because they're in the Canadian League. Everyone has a shot to sign them, and so, you know, I, I don't know if there's anyone necessarily popping as like, oh, the Raptors are going to go get that guy, but Adel is six seven, six eight, and can handle a little bit, and has been a great shooter so far, so maybe that's something the Raptors can explore as a guy who, you know, does the thing where he comes to the NBA, has a cup of coffee, goes back overseas, and then comes back as a stronger player and makes his way uh, that way. So yeah, Dengadel would be my other choice there. Uh, last question here. This is kind of a long one. This comes from Nick Royd, who sent in the question. It's a long DM, but here we go. Uh, I really question why the Raps' D was only average, slightly above average for the season. Both fans plus media seem to agree the individual players are all good to elite-level defenders and also seem to agree that Nurse is one of the top defensive coaches. So what gives? The excuse most give uh, for last year seemed to be that the lack of a true five, but these playoffs have shown that's not a legit excuse. The Mavs and Celtics both have been great defensive teams without a true five, and in the Mavs' case, it's fair to say their individual players are not as good defenders as the Raps have. I also don't see any strong defensive playoff teams giving up wide open threes the way the raps do unnecessarily pressuring the ball what i rarely see is fans or media questioning the defensive scheme and i'm not sure why i also think siakam and barnes are good enough creators offensively that the team doesn't need to be selling out for turnovers to spark easy points i get this is a long way of saying (laughs) is it not fair to seriously think If the Raptors played a more conservative style of D with their personnel, they could be a top 5 D instead of middling average. Are we so sure Nurse is optimizing the roster? Thanks. Sorry for rambling. You did not ramble. It's all good. It's a very good question, Nick. And one that I think, you know, maybe should probably get more time than just the end of this mailbag podcast. But I do think there are some good points in there. I also think the Raptors showed in the back half of the season that their defense can be elite. They were the number six defense after January 1st. Uh, And I think... Like I, I totally get the points that they should probably kind of rein in the the, the, the the aggression a little bit. I don't think that you do it all the way because I think it's something they do well and have personnel to actually execute quite well. And I think with a little bit better center play behind them, it becomes a little bit easier to sort of function that way and have your guys be over-aggressive in fighting for steals because you have guys to mop up the messes on the back end. And I think Precious Achua is kind of showing that he can probably be that type of guy who can both be part of the crazy scrambling side of things and also be the guy at the rim who's a bit of a deterrent. No, he's not seven foot three. he's not swatting everything away, but he was a damn good rim protector this season, one of the better ones in the NBA in terms of field goal percentage allowed. And so I think there's a pathway there. I I... To also agree that, yeah, they could probably play a little bit more conservatively here because, you know, to the point that Scotty and Pascal are good enough running the offense, like, the offense as a whole was fine last season. And actually, though the Raptors ran more than any other team, they were not terribly efficient in transition. Like, that was kind of a thing they were built up as this transition terror. They did it on volume. They didn't do it on every single possession down being just completely, you know, unstoppable. They were sort of bottom 10 in the league, I believe, in terms of overall transition efficiency. So... That, I I think I buy. You know, the offense was good enough that maybe you don't have to sell yourself out to score in transition, which is a thing that you've kind of struggled with on a per-possession basis. If you kind of reorganize things a little bit and focus a bit more on the half court and keep your defense a little bit more rigid and sturdy, then maybe you're getting similar results, and maybe it's a little bit less taxing on guys to play that way, too, which is probably something to consider as well. The Raptors have had guys burn out. They've had guys get hurt. They've had Fred Van Vliet kind of be worn into dust over the course of the season. OG's missed time, etc., Maybe the fact that the Raptors play this high-octane style of defense where they're flying all over, there's a heightened chance of rolled ankles and stuff like that on these closeouts, maybe every little bit helps. And if you can kind of rein things in a touch, maybe that helps you, A, kind of weather the season more, and B, just kind of be a bit more traditional in the terms of the ways that you score. Ultimately, I think the Raptors are... A team that has the defensive personnel to play any way they want, for the most part, right? No, they don't have Marcus Saul sitting there calling it all these coverages and whatnot, but they have smart defenders. Fred, Pascal, OG, all genius defenders. Scotty Barnes seems like he's going to be there as well, and I think Precious Achua has a chance to be the best of the bunch, all of these guys together make it so i think they should be able to play any style switch heavy you know regular drop although they don't have the height necessarily to run like a brooke lopez type drop necessarily um but like you can do a quick you can do hedging or, or blitzing or whatever you want to do you can run all these different coverages over the course of a game we know that they'll pl- play plenty of zone i think they have the horses to do that and to keep teams kind of guessing that's the thing, is leaving all these wide open threes, I think there's some method to the madness, but it certainly opens you up to the, you know, the, the the problems that variants can present and can sewer you in one-off games and playoff games and things like that. You know, you're not always banking on Danny Green going six of eight from three or whatever. You're hoping, hey, he's not gonna do that. But if he does, you're kind of screwed and you kind of ask that to happen with the way you defend. And so, yeah, I, I just think there's more balance to be struck here. I think Nurse is a really good coach. I think he has figured out a way to milk as much out of rosters as he possibly can. They had no business winning more than 50 games in that shortened season uh, after losing Kawhi Leonard, but they did, and they were just, like, incredible doing so. Uh, Last season, they had no real business winning 48 games, especially with with how things started, but they did because Nick Nurse can maximize the roster and get a lot out of it. But I do think as things get a little bit more serious and you look more towards, like, sort of contention windows and stuff, I think you got to sort of vary things up a little bit. And if it's just a matter of you indoctrinate guys with the most extreme defense, defense you're going to play and then have them sort of learn the other stuff as you go along I think I kind of buy that reasoning a little bit honestly like get them good at the hard stuff first and then figure it out from there but yeah I I think a little bit more balance is always a thing to shoot for for everybody both in basketball and life and so being a little bit less over aggressive trusting in the really good defenders the team have on board or has on board I think is probably a pretty good call as well. So great question from Nick. We'll probably examine this a little bit more in depth as we go forward. But with that, we're going to round up today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in and supporting the show. Very much appreciated. Go to YouTube and subscribe if you haven't yet. That's always the thing you can do to support the show for absolutely free. It's a free show, free everywhere. All you got to do is support it in the very easy and free ways that we ask you to do. So we thank you in advance for that. Uh, you can find me, of course, on Twitter at Sean. It's on the screen there if you're watching on YouTube. And uh, we'll have another episode tomorrow. Katie Heindel is going to pop on. We're going to talk jerseys because I think the Raptors bad, are badly in need of a jersey rebrand. And uh, I look forward to chatting with Katie about that. Always fun stuff to talk about aesthetics with Katie Heindel. So you have that to look forward to. And a Prospect Talk for number 33 on Friday as well. Keep an eye out for that. With that, we will round it all out there. Go make your second listen of the day, Locked on NBA, teeing up Game 3 of the NBA Finals tonight. Very good listen. It's also on YouTube. You can subscribe over there. And uh, we'll talk to you again on Thursday with another episode of Locked on Raptors. Bye-bye.